This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patrons, Ralph Colby, Blind Ink Poet, and Callum for already donating. For more stories or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. A quick programming note. The next chapter may be delayed a week, as uh, when this is uploading, I will be traveling to visit my mama for her 100th birthday. Please join me on Twitter in wishing her well. And now, Voice of All presents The Gathering Storm, Chapter 3 by Django Wexler. The closer Ral got to New Prov, the more he could feel his skin crawl. The Azorius had always been officious and overbearing, but something had changed. I've, I've spent, spent too much, much time, time locked in my, in my workshop, workshop of late. The streets around the great citadel of the Senate were as neat and orderly as ever, but now the soldiers of the Azorius Lyav column were everywhere, standing guard at the entrance to every important building and patrolling the streets in their glossy white armor. Hussars trotted past, lances at the ready. In the skies overhead, for once free of rain, winged constructs circled lazily, staring down with multifaceted, gym-like eyes. They're running, running scared. Ralph smiled tightly. The military presence was supposed to be a show of strength, but to Ral it tasted more like weakness. They know there's nothing more useless than a Senate nobody listens to. New Prov itself was as impressive as ever. Three titanic towers that dominated the 10th district skyline, arranged equidistant around a central courtyard, flanked by the domes and spires of lesser buildings. The borders of the enormous compound were marked by tall, spiked fences, and at the gate, a dozen white-armored soldiers manned a checkpoint, processing a long queue of pedestrians. Ral ignored them and walked directly to the gate, where a blue-skinned Vidalcan sergeant glared at him through the narrow slit in his helmet. All non-guild members must have their papers processed before entry. Please, wait your turn. Ral gave the queue a contemptuous look. I'm in a hurry. The sergeant growled. Two more soldiers stepped forward to flank him. No exceptions. Please don't cause trouble, citizen. Definitely running scared. Ral put on a haughty smile. My name is Ral Zarek, personal representative of Guildmaster Niv Mizzet. I'm here to see Supreme Judge Asperia on a matter of utmost importance. No except- The sergeant paused as one of the other soldiers whispered urgently in his ear. His blue lips curled into a sour expression. Very well. Wait here. Not for long, I hope. It was, in fact, nearly a quarter of an hour before the sergeant returned with a captain in tow. The young man, in a uniform but unarmored, gave Ral a slight bow. Welcome, Master Zarek. I am Captain Peter Leosh. Come with me, please. Ral favored the sergeant with one last superior smile as he followed the captain through the checkpoint. Leosh led him rapidly across the central square, past the three great monoliths, and into the maze of subsidiary buildings that housed the administrative apparatus of the Senate. 
Raoul was struck by how different it was from the halls of Nivix. Not just that the walls and floors were covered with cracks and scorch marks, of course, but the silence. The floors were polished marble with no carpets or hangings to muffle the echoes, and every step echoed like a thunderclap. Clerks shuffled past, heads down, not looking either at Ral or the guards who stood like ceramic statues at regular intervals. There was a steady stream of homunculi as well, small, wizened-looking creatures who performed menial administrative tasks, hurrying back and forth with their small arms piled high with scrolls. Captain Leosh stopped in front of a grand double door, inlaid with the Azorius guild crest in silver. From inside, Ral could hear the faint sound of voices raised in anger. The captain coughed. <clears throat> the delegation from the Boros Legion has already arrived. I understand that the guildmaster will be a few moments longer. Please wait inside. He opened the door, bowing again. Beyond, Ral found an oval conference chamber with a long, highly polished table down the center. One side of the table was lined with high-ranking Azorius functionaries in the white robes of senators or military uniforms. On the other were more soldiers, but of a very different cut. Where the Azorius military was all chilly precision and gleaming ceramic armor, the Boros Legion delegation wore brushed steel, well-polished but with the nicks and scars that spoke of actual combat. There were five of them, ranging from two young captains up to an older minotaur woman wearing a lieutenant's insignia. She sat in silence, arms folded, while her subordinates engaged in a shouting match with the gaggle of politicians. Against the rear wall, watching, was an angel. Aurelia. Ral couldn't help but stare. He didn't know much about the angelic hierarchy that dominated the upper ranks of the Boros, but Aurelia had become guildmaster after she ousted Feather. She was a head taller than him, but gave an impression of delicate grace that belied her size. Her features were striking, androgynous, and beautiful and her bright crimson hair flowed down over her shoulder like a river of blood dripping across her well-worn armor. Her great wings were folded behind her. She surveyed the ongoing argument with a faintly amused expression, like a parent watching children in fierce debate. If we are weak, one of the Boros lieutenants was saying, It is your doing. The Legion and the Senate are intended to work together for the good of Ravnica. But you have taken it upon yourselves to usurp our function. Only because you refuse to perform it. A pot-bellied senator shot back. If the Legion would enforce the laws that we- How are we supposed to enforce the laws when they change every day? The Senate has lost its grip. And Azorius Vidalkin snapped at them. The Legion has become a dangerous rogue element. Dangerous? The Minotaur woman leaned forward, silencing the others for a moment. One of her long horns gleamed dangerously, while the other had broken off and was now capped by a silver stopper. The Boros are dangerous only to those who would transgress against justice. Is that you, Senator? Of course not. We are the law, 
How can we break it? Justice and the law are not the same. The Azorius would do well to remember that. Borelia turned her glowing eyes on Ral. Greetings, Master Zarek. We have been anxiously awaiting your arrival. Send your complaints to the sergeant at the gates, or whoever designed this maze of a building. He bowed towards Aurelia and inclined his head to the Azorius side of the table. Guildmaster Aurelia, Masters, thank you for coming. Zarek. Good. I, for one, have some questions for you. Who exactly is this threat you claim is nearly upon us? And what can you tell us about its capabilities? How many men can it field, and with what equipment? I think that it would be best to wait until Guildmaster Asperia and I have had a chance to discuss the matter. I agree. The last thing he wanted was to get bogged down trying to convince these squabbling subordinates of the depth of the problem. Will she be ready for us soon? She is ready now. A cold voice spoke from the other end of the room. A door there had opened, and a tall, thin-limbed Vidalkin stood beside it. The Guildmaster requests that Master Zedek and Guildmaster Aurelia join her alone. It could be a trap. Let us see us all together. The honor of the Azorius would never allow such a thing. But I agree that we should all enter- The Guildmaster has made her decision clear. I appreciate your concern, but I will be fine. The angel nodded to Ral. Shall we? The next room was much larger, out of necessity. Esperia, supreme judge of the Azorius Senate, was a sphinx. Her long, leonin body was bigger than a cart, made even bulkier by broad, feathered wings. Her enormous forepaws were folded in front of her. Her face and head looked more human, framed by long, purple hair, her features as famously inscrutable as all her kind. One chair stood beside her, and two more were set up opposite. Rao, already feeling at something of a disadvantage in conversation with this enormous creature, chose to stand, and Aurelia did likewise. The Vidalkin took the other chair, settling in with precise movements and folding his hands in front of him. Welcome. Aurelia, it has been too long. It has. I regret the recent tension between our guilds. And I don't believe we have met Master Zarek. I am, of course, well acquainted with your master. The Firemind sends his greetings. He glanced at the Vidalkin curiously. Isperia nodded in his direction. Ah, yes. This is Grand Arbiter Dovin Barn. He is my second, and may have some expertise in the matter before us. Greetings. Bond's blue features remained motionless. Your master called this meeting, Zarek. I must say, when I received his message, it seemed far-fetched. A dragon from another world? I've always dismissed such myths. She smiled. It would explain much about Azor, and the fire mine must never be discounted entirely. At the same time, we have grown used to ignoring his flights of fancy. However... She glanced at Dovin, who cleared his throat. <clears> throat> 
Nicole Bolas is quite real. I crossed paths with him or his agents on my home plane of Kaladesh. My subsequent investigations led me here, where I believe he will make his next move. You claim to be from another world, then? Yes, I am a planeswalker. I realize the idea seems absurd at first, but I can give you my personal assurance that such people do exist. It felt strange to say it so boldly. Not long ago, Raoul had been working desperately to prevent the secret of planeswalkers and other worlds from becoming widely known. He'd assumed that if those without the spark became aware of the strangers in their midst, the paranoid reaction would be dangerous for all of them. Every planeswalker he'd met over the years had the same policy, an unwritten rule that kept their abilities hidden from most of the multiverse. Now he was breaking that taboo to two of the most powerful and influential creatures in Ravnica. But there's no way around it. He'd never convince anyone that Nicol Bolas was a threat if he couldn't explain where the dragon was coming from. I have received documentation from Niv-Mizzet on the subject. I assume you have as well. Asperia nodded. I'm prepared to accept his word, for the moment. Let us proceed on that assumption. Aurelia turned back to Ral. This Nicol Bolas is coming to Ravnica, then, from parts unknown. He is powerful? Significantly more powerful than my master at present. And yet, that is hardly an insurmountable obstacle. Forgive me for being blunt, but if it came to a confrontation, I would certainly hazard the combined might of the Legion against Niv-Mizzet alone. I cannot see why this Bolas would be any different. I agree. One dragon is much like another. Bolas won't be alone. He has allies. Who? How many? In what strength? At least some Ravnikans. We know that Lazov and the Demir are working with him. Hardly unexpected. You have no other information? I have my personal experience. Bolas is no simple threat. What he wants, he usually gets. I concur. If he is coming to Ravnica, it is because he believes himself strong enough to rule. For the moment, let us move on. What is Niv Mizet's proposal? He wants to amend the Guild Pact, to make himself into a force capable of defeating Bolas. He pledges to leave the Izzet behind and to take no further part in the conflict of the Guilds. A lofty appeal, but not one I have a great deal of confidence in. Who would lead the Izzet afterward? Rao gave a slight bow. I would. The Sphinx regarded him curiously. And do you believe the Firemind would remain neutral, as he claims? I do. Raoul didn't add that it was damned hard to get the dragon to care about anything now if it didn't bear directly on his studies. I think this is our best chance. I am not convinced that this Bolas is as dire a threat as you claim. However... She looked at Asperia and the Sphinx nodded slowly. There is a sickness in the guilds. The Living Guild Pact was intended to keep them in check, but Jace Balaran is gone. I suppose he is also one of these... planeswalkers? Yes. Niv-Mizzet believes he may be dead. He was on Kaladesh. 
Where he went from there, I do not know. He knows Balaran? Rao shot the Vidalkin a sharp look and resolved to question him further later. In any event, the Living Guild Pact is not performing his function. It may be that further amendments are required. The Sphinx's huge body shifted in a shrug. At the very least, it will do no harm to assemble a guild summit. Getting agreement will not be easy. The Gruul will object on principle, and the Orzhov will consider only their own private advantage. As for Demir, who knows? Niv-Mizzet has his own plans in motion. Ral said it with a lot more confidence than he truly felt. If he can bring the Gruul to the table, he truly deserves to be called a Firemind. But you agree, in principle? Yes. The present situation cannot go on, and this threat must be addressed. The Boros Legion will negotiate in good faith. We will handle the particulars, but convincing the other guilds to attend at all will still be your responsibility, Master Zarek. I hope you are equal to it. Ralph forced a grin. Leave it to me. In spite of his misgivings, Raoul had to admit as he left New Prov that things were looking, if not actually up, then at least less than completely hopeless. For all that the other guilds protested against the authority of the Azorius, the Senate commanded a vestige of respect. Hesperia's endorsement went a long way toward making this look less like an Izzet power play, especially with Aurelia and the Boros also on board. Gruul is still going to be a problem, though. Not only were the Chaotic Tribes constitutionally opposed to anything like cooperation with the other guilds, their rivalry with Boros ran deep. And Demir, Demir is already against, against us. us. I hope Niv Mizzet really does, does have something up his sleeve. He walked out through the market square that fronted New Prov, outside the Azorius checkpoints, but still well within their jurisdiction. It was bustling with the break in the rain, thick with sentient creatures of a dozen different races and a hundred varieties of beasts of burden. Above the heads of the humanoids, fairies flitted back and forth on colorful trails of magic, mixed with the buzz of insects and the whir of small constructs. Stalls around the edges of the square sold food and drink, spitted potatoes, fried mushrooms in fantastic varieties from the depths of the Undercity roasted meat of dubious origin, and wine that might, or might not, have come anywhere near a grape. Master Zarek? The small voice got his attention while Ral was contemplating a haunch of something green and scaly. He looked around, frowning, and then glanced down to find a small elven girl tugging at his sleeve. Look, I don't want to buy anything. Someone wants to talk to you. The girl looked shyly at the cobblestones. Says it's important. I don't- Says it's about bolas? <laughs> don't know what that means. Ralph froze. His eyes searched the market. Where did he want me to go? <laughs> Was a lady. Sit on the bench and wait, she said. Before he could stop her, the elf slipped away, darting nimbly through the crowd. In the center of the square, were a set of stone benches ranged around a central fountain, in which a statue of Azor was surrounded by water-spouting nymphs. Many of them were occupied, but Raoul couldn't see anyone who seemed threatening. Even Tezzeret would hesitate before trying something this publicly. 
Not only was the square full of shoppers and merchants, but Azorius guards were much in evidence, patrolling in small groups or standing at intervals in their glossy white armor. If it's a trap, it's a subtle one. He made his way over to the bench, found a clear spot, and sat down. It gave him a good view of half the square, but the back of his neck itched, wary of what might be hiding out of his line of vision. He felt half-naked without his accumulator and misium bracers, left behind out of respect for his Azorius hosts. When he reached out with his power, only a few crackles of lightning and the brooding clouds overhead were close enough to tap. Across the way, a troop of Rakdos puppeteers were performing to the delight of a crowd of watching children. Under the stern eye of the Azorius guards, they settled for biting satire instead of setting things on fire, much to the disappointment of their audience. One of the puppets had a shock of wild hair with a white streak down the center. I wonder, I wonder what, what they're, they're saying, saying about, about me now. Zarek, don't look around. A voice from behind him. Raoul put his chin in his hands, pretending to be absorbed in the puppet show. And you are? Lavinia, formerly of the Azorius. Lavinia? He knew her by reputation. She had been one of the Senate's most notorious investigators, dogged in her pursuit of anything that looked like wrongdoing or corruption, prior to working with Balerin as steward of the Guild Pact. Her resignation from the Guild had caused a minor scandal, though it had been quickly swallowed up by all the other strange news of late. I have an office, you know. You're always welcome to make an appointment. They're watching you. A lot of people are watching me. It comes with the territory. Don't play dumb. You know who I mean. Bolas. Care to tell me how you know that name? I still have my sources inside the Senate. That place leaks like a sieve. By tomorrow morning, everyone in the district will know what you and the Sphinx are up to. Ral shrugged. Eh, we were planning to announce it in any event. So what's your angle? I thought you left the guild. I left the guild because I started pulling on a thread and they didn't like what I found. And what thread would that be? There are agents of a foreign power in the 10th district. I've been tracking them for months, intercepting their communications, trying to understand their purpose and who they work for. Now I have an answer to at least one of those questions. You think they work for Bolas? It's the only thing that makes sense. So why are you telling me about it? Because you're far too trusting. Huh. I like to think I'm appropriately paranoid. Listen. This is an organized network spread through all the guilds. I don't know what their goal is, not yet. But if you're working against Bolas, they're going to try to stop you. And I don't know how many more agents there are that I haven't identified. You can't trust anyone. Except you, I assume? You'd be a fool if you did. What do you want, Lavinia? I want to help you. Whatever Bolas has planned, it's not going to be good for Ravnica. But you have to be careful. I'm second in command of a guild of mad geniuses. I haven't gotten here by being careless. Even if you manage to bring the guilds together, it's likely that Bolas will have already sunk his claws into them. <sighs> I hope you know what you're doing. I really do. Knowing who's already on his side would be nice, if you really want to be helpful. I'll do what I can. I don't want to spook them, not yet. I'll contact you again when I have something. Thanks. 
Rao waited for a response, and when none came, he looked over his shoulder. The bench behind him was empty. Well, that was... odd. Lavinia is not wrong. A little paranoid, maybe, but not wrong. Rao thought as he walked across the 10th district. Bolus was a born schemer, and knew better than to put all his bets on one throw of the dice. If he has one agent among the guilds, he'll have many. Somehow they'd have to figure out who was on the dragon's payroll before the guild summit convened. He did his best to put it out of his mind, at least for the moment. As always, coming here brought a little surge of guilt. Not that he was doing anything wrong, but that he was stealing time that might have been put to use at Nivix, studying reports or checking up on his projects. As always, Raoul assured himself that everything was on track. It'll take time for Esperia to send her messages and receive replies. We won't have any new information until morning, at the earliest. The brief respite from the autumn rains had ended, and Raoul put up his deflection spell and kept his head down as the gutters once again gurgled and splashed. The apartment was in the Dog's Run neighborhood, a genteel rectangle of quiet streets tucked away from the major thoroughfares. It was close enough to Nivix for convenience, but far enough that it wasn't part of Izzet territory. Renting it had been an odd experience. It had been a long time since Rao had any cause for handling money, and he'd been surprised to discover that he was, if not rich, at least comfortably well off. He'd spent decades living in the Izzet laboratories while the guild's bean counters had dutifully credited his account with regular contributions. Apparently, Niv Mizzet was generous to his most successful underlings. No wonder Chamberlain Marie is so eager to maintain her position. Belatedly realizing he was on the hook for dinner, he stopped in at a Viachino eatery on the way there. The old lizard woman behind the counter grinned to see him, showing a mouthful of sharp teeth, and barked a laugh at his usual request to hit him with her best shot. Two curries in waxed paper packages secured, he made his way up the streets of Dog's Run, past brick-faced apartment buildings with window box gardens and wrought iron fences. His key led him into one, safely anonymous in the center of a row, and he climbed three flights of stairs. He was running late. No sooner had he shrugged out of his coat and put the food on the table than there was the sound of another key in the lock. Raoul opened the door and raised an eyebrow at the sight of Tomic Vrona, his hair soaked through and his glasses splattered with raindrops. You look like a wet rat. I feel like a wet rat. Left my coat at the cathedral. I thought I could make it here before the skies opened up again. He pulled off his glasses and wiped them on his shirt, which didn't actually help much. This one your fault, too? Hmm. <laughs> you caused one thunderstorm and they never let you hear the end of it. I brought curry. Hmm. Suppose I can forgive you, then. Tomek stepped forward and Raoul leaned in and kissed him thoroughly. Finally... Tomek broke away and shoved past Raoul in spite of his mock complaints and headed straight for the table. Oh, I see where your priorities are. Damned right, Tomek sat down. I missed lunch. I think the brown one is yours? I can tell by the fact that breathing near it doesn't sear my nasal passages. Honestly, I, I don't understand how you can eat that stuff. 
Spend half a year stuck on campaign with a bunch of Scorchbringers, and you'll learn. The Viachino had a habit of seasoning their food with whatever spice, vegetable, or fungus would burn hottest. Rao's curry was an angry crimson, full of chunks of seared meat like bloody icebergs. He speared one, savoring the heat of it. Tomek, watching, rolled his eyes and attacked his considerably milder curry. For a while, they ate in comfortable silence, but it slowly transitioned into uncomfortable silence. Rao polished off his food and found Tomek only halfway through his, staring absently down to the depths of his curry as though it contained some dangerous secret. Something wrong? Oh... Tomek laid down his fork and looked up. You know, guild, guild business. business. They said it almost simultaneously, and Tomek smiled a little. It was a joke, sort of. He and Tomek had met when the young secretary was pursuing Tesa Karlov's agenda of greater ties between the Yorzhov and the other guilds. Tomek's quick mind, and the way he fiddled with his glasses when he was flustered, had intrigued Rao and had taken the unusual step of suggesting they meet privately once the negotiations had concluded. After that, one thing had somehow led to another. But it was clear to both of them that this, whatever this was, and frankly, Raoul didn't want to think too hard about that, was only going to work if they kept their respective positions out of it. Raoul had rented the apartment to have a private place to meet while keeping a low profile. It wasn't that Izzet officials didn't have lovers or partners, of course, just that if it became widely known that the second-in-command of the Izzet was spending time with the personal secretary of the Karlov heir apparent, questions would be asked on Rao's side, and he assumed the same would be true of Tomek. Given how much time and attention each of them committed to their guilds, it was a hard line to walk. Sometimes Rao wondered if he was fooling himself if he thought this was more than a brief interlude, like a dozen others who had come and gone over the years. But Tomek... He shook his head. Not the time. Worrying about it wasn't going to help. Guild business. <sighs> I know the feeling, believe me. Tomek looked as though he wanted to say something, but he only bit his lip and shook his head. Rao yawned ostentatiously and got up from the table. I, for one, have had enough of guild business for the day. He gave Tomek a cocky grin. What about you? Tomek grinned back. In the broad, soft bed, with Tomek curled against his back like a comfortable cat, Ralzarek dreamed, or remembered. In his dream, he was 17 again. The 10th district, with its guild halls and great markets, was the center of Ravnica, if a city that stretched on forever could really be said to have a center. By the same token, Toverna was the outskirts, a backwater in the endless city. Once a power in its own right, it had slipped into somnolence over the centuries, ruled by a handful of petty oligarch families who owned the vast factory rows where the rest of the population labored. The downtown of Toverna was a few blocks of elegant apartments and townhouses, surrounded by a thin ring of 
dilapidated buildings for the servants, scribes, and other hangers-on. Beyond that were the crumbling tenements of the poor and the long, low sheds of the factories themselves, powered by superheated gas rising from underground caverns. The machines inside whirred day and night, turning thread into cloth, pig iron into neat rods, or creating any one of a hundred other products Toverna exported to the wealthier districts. It would have been easier and safer to use magic, of course, but mages were expensive. Tenement dwellers, with nothing to lose, were cheap and easy to replace. Raoul's mother had been one such, working in a cloth factory until she'd been mangled in an accident when Raoul was eleven. She'd lived a cripple for another two years, never really healing, with Raoul doing everything he could to help her. After she'd finally died, it had only taken a few months for the thirteen-year-old to abandon his drunken lout of a father and strike out on his own. Four years later, he'd managed a precarious existence, a place to live, a job of sorts, and, to his great surprise, love. You're off? Elias spied Raoul changing through the open bedroom door. Raoul nodded, pulling on a shirt that was slightly less threadbare than the rest and examining himself in the cracked mirror propped against the pockmarked plaster wall. It'll do if I keep my coat on. It's not like the Count ever pays much attention to me anyway. His client had a great-grandfather in the Orzhov and pretensions of nobility. Their apartment was in that precarious ring, too far from the center of the district to be respectable, but not quite part of the slum. It had once been fashionable, with high ceilings and faded gilt wallpaper in the hall, but most of the furnishings had long ago been stripped. Raoul and Elias had replaced them with their own eclectic collection, mostly scavenged from oligarch castoffs. A few rickety shelves held small paintings and sculptures, courtesy of Elias's bohemian friends, who were always gifting one another with their latest artistic efforts. Privately, Raoul thought that most of these looked like little more than lumpy trolls or blots of spilled paint, but his lover seemed to adore them, so he held his tongue. Elias himself was at work in the main room, lying on his stomach in front of their ratty old sofa, pencil in hand. A stack of the clean white paper, one of the few indulgences Raoul's meager earnings would stretch to, sat in front of him, the top sheet bearing a single word repeatedly crossed out. Tough morning. Elias rolled over and threw one arm across his forehead with a theatrical <sighs> sigh. Raoul laughed and Elias <laughs> stuck out his tongue. He was a year older than Raoul, but smaller and slighter, with dark brown skin and long hair dyed a deep green in the imitation of elven fashion, a look that was apparently the done thing at the moment. I'll have you know that I'm in the midst of wrestling my muse to the ground. He lay back and carefully balanced the pencil on his nose, staring at the ceiling. Any minute now, I'll be churning out the pages. Well. Raoul wanted to jump on him, knock the pencil away, and kiss the smirk off his face. But, but I, can't I can't be late. Be late. Not, Not after, after last, last time. time. I won't distract you then. No? Not even for a little while? Raoul laughed, <laughs> waved, and walked out the door. 
It was high summer, and the sun baked the mud between the cobblestones into a fine dust that coated everything. Raoul skirted the center of the district, sticking to back streets without much carriage traffic, until he came to the Count's townhouse. It was enormous, at least four stories high, and had long ago swallowed the buildings behind it to extend further back from the streets. That was where the terraced gardens were. Four levels of riotous green, producing fruits and herbs for the Count's table. Raoul bypassed the front doors and went around the side to the tradesman's entrance. He'd only made that mistake once. A sour-faced butler greeted him when he rapped at the door. His expression, as he looked over Raoul's weather-beaten coat and patched trousers, could have curdled milk. Ah, the rain mage. The rain mage. Rain mage. The man's voice echoed in Raoul's head, taunting him. He swallowed a knot in his throat and nodded. You'll have to wait. The master is entertaining in the garden now. He told me this morning would be all right. I have appointments. The Count has changed his plans. You will have to wait. And so, Raoul ended up cooling his heels for the better part of an hour in the kitchen, while the servants gave him curious looks and the life of the great house went on around him. When a maid finally summoned him to the gardens, he got a brief glimpse of the Count and his guests leaving through the main door, like a herd of brilliant peacocks compared to the drab attire of the servants. They'd left the gardens a mess, plants trampled and discarded plates and cutlery everywhere. That, at least, wasn't Raoul's problem. He sat in the garden's highest tier, cross-legged and focused. Rain Mage. They'd hung that name on him in the streets when he was a boy, shouted it at him in mockery. He had a talent for magecraft, he'd discovered, but not for fire or mind magic or healing or anything truly impressive. Just rain. What can you do with rain? Overhead, there was a tiny crash of thunder, and then heavy drops began to land on the leaves of the garden. The parched, thirsty earth drank in the water, which curved politely around Raoul himself. This is what you could do with rain. The trick wasn't calling the rain, something Raoul had been able to do when he was ten. The trick was getting it to rain here, but not anywhere else. The Count and his neighbors would not be pleased if he soaked their party guests. It had taken Raoul years to learn that kind of control, not that it had earned him much respect. Each tear had to be watered in turn, so it was well afternoon before Raoul was finished. He accepted the lunch the butler had, with bad grace, offered him, plain bread and leftover stew, and the small bag of Zenos that had come along with it enough to pay the rent and keep himself and Elias fed for another few days, until the next job came along. Until Elias finally found an audience for his poetry and made good on all his promises. Just a little longer. He'd just emerged from the house, shrugging into his coat when he heard the call. Hey, Rain Mage! Raoul looked up and swore very quietly. Gunther was the Count's oldest son, 
Ral's age, though you wouldn't know it under the layers of silk and cosmetics. Ral thought it made him look like a performer at the circus, but Gunther clearly thought himself the height of fashion, and his entourage seemed to agree, aping the boy's overdressed style. There were half a dozen of them, young men from respectable families, and one slightly older, slightly shabbier-looking fellow with the look of a hired hand. They blocked the way back onto the street. Rao kept his head down as he walked toward them. Rain Mage, I'm talking to you. There was nothing to do but answer if he didn't want to actually walk over the boy. Rao sighed and looked up. Yes? What are you going to do about my hat? His hat was large, green, and fringed with silk. As he tipped it towards Rao, a wet streak down one side was visible. It's absolutely ruined! I'm sorry to hear that, but I was only doing as your father instructed, and I'm, I'm sure, sure the, the garden, garden was, was empty. empty. Gunther had to have noticed the rainstorm and gone into it on purpose. My father did not instruct you to butcher my wardrobe. Would you like to come with me and ask him about it? No. I'm sorry. You're simply going to have to pay for it. Gunther stepped forward. Let's see your purse. The entourage tittered, except for the hired hand. Ral's fists clenched. No, I won't. Excuse me? You will, or else you'll be disciplined. I won't. Gunther's fist hit him in the gut, hard and fast. Given the way he looked, it seemed unfair that Gunther could throw a decent punch. But his father had apparently not skimped on his physical training, and there were muscles under the frippery. Ral doubled over, and then straightened up slowly. Now there's a dangerous look. What are you going to do, Rain Mage? Moisten me? No, sir. I'd just like to go. But Barrow, show this fella what a real mage can do. The hired hand stepped forward. He caught Rao's eye and shrugged. Sorry, kid. Rao had time to throw up his hands before Varro made a complicated gesture, and a wave of raw force picked Rao up and tossed him against the side of the alley. The air went out of him in a rush, and he felt his nose break with a crunch and a spike of pain. A moment later, he was lying on his back, spitting blood while Gunther and his friends laughed. Very well done, Barrow. Yes, sir. I think that's vengeance for my hat taken. Who's for darts? An indeterminate amount of time passed. Raoul had to work just to breathe, and he could feel his nose swelling. He closed his eyes to slits against the sun. A shape swam into view, a man with his hand extended. Do you need help, boy? Ral hesitated only a moment before taking the hand. A strong grip returned him to his feet. He blinked, eyes watering, and then winced as the stranger's fingers pressed against his face. Mm, that's a bad break. I can do something about it if you'd like. What'll it cost me? Let's say, um, a moment of your time. I'd like it if you joined me for a cup of coffee. Rao gave a cautious nod. 
The man pressed two fingers carefully against his broken nose, and Raoul felt the weird sensation of flesh twisting against itself as it straightened. Healing magic tingled gently, then faded. The man handed him a handkerchief. Here, you might want to clean yourself up a bit. You look like you've been in the wars. Thank you. Raoul was relieved to breathe easily. He mopped the blood on his face. I'm not sure a cup of coffee is enough to repay you. Well? Now that Raoul could see him clearly, the stranger was a tall, handsome older man, with his graying hair tied back in a queue. He was immaculately dressed, though in a style that Raoul found vaguely foreign. Perhaps you could further oblige me by considering an offer. I think that you show promise. What, at getting my teeth kicked in? I admit, I have been watching you. Am I correct that you might be amenable to additional employment? Raoul nodded. And further, that you would not mind performing tasks that are counter to the interests of the highest echelons of society, such as, for example, the Count and his charming son. Raoul, once he'd followed the circumlocutions of the man's speech, found himself laughing. <laughs> no. No, I wouldn't mind that at all. <laughs> Excellent. Then we have much to discuss. He extended a hand, and Raoul shook it. The name's Raoul Zarek. Bolus. The stranger grinned, his smile showing very white, slightly pointed teeth. Nickel Bolus. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or just plain sharing it with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. The Gathering Storm was written by Django Wexler. The podcast was produced and edited by Gin Keshi with sound editing by Grace Noir. This week's story featured the voice talents of Mycroftian, Irkman013, Violet Legacy, Fox, Purple Rogue, Noxshade, Keo, Penny, Emily Doms, Rhythm Bastard, Miranda Celine, Sharon Grunwald, Mertia, Eli Lewis, Isa Martell, Connor Roby, Rasmus Bekor, Joe Loaf, and Regula. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic Gathering is copyright Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening, and y'all have a great day. <laughs>